First John chapter number three. First John chapter number three. We've all been watching, I guess, with great interest the situation over in Israel. Uh, I want to remind you that there are no signs of the rapture. And we get, uh, get our interest peaked, I guess, uh, when uh, something goes on over there of, of a military sense. But part of that is just simply because as Christians, we love Israel. Uh, the Jews are, are the most hated group on the face of the earth. They've suffered more than anybody else you've ever known of. Uh, I realize slavery was an awful thing. What a, a blight on humanity, the idea of owning another person. But every skin tone and every nationality, everybody's been in, enslaved at some time or another. But the Jews have just been consistently hated because God chose through the nation of Israel to bring the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I think I sent on to Brother Lance uh, the testimony of the first uh, Messianic Jewish soldier that was killed in the combat over there. And his uh, commanding officer said that he killed 30 Hamas before they got him and uh, that he fought even after having been wounded. And But all those things are great. But he talked about the testimony the man had about how that he was the first to volunteer, never complained, always ready to, to do what needed to be done. And so I appreciated reading those things about him. But my heart grieves. Uh, I think all of us are grieving over the fact that innocent people are dying. And, and yet, I don't know what else Israel can do. They've tried to be as restrained as they can be through the years, and it's reached a place where there's, you, they're doing their negotiations with a pointy end of a 5.56 five, by 45 or a 7.62 by 51. And if you don't know what that is, that's an AR-15 cartridge or M-16 cartridge, the first one. And the second one fits our machine guns and larger uh, small arms that we, that we carry. And it's sad that it's come to that point. But I want you to understand, as we think about these things, that we ought to, if, if peace comes tomorrow, we still ought to be thinking about the Lord coming back. There's no signs of his return, but there are signs of the tribulation. And the beginning of sorrows, and I think we are in the beginning of sorrows, Matthew chapter 24, where it talks about nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And it's, it's horrid that our own government and people who have high places try to divide us over the color of our skin. And can I say this to you? If you don't like the color of somebody's skin, the problem's with you, not with them. Uh, God makes, you know, we're, you look in here at all the varieties we got, and... I've told you before, I'm not white. When I'm this color, please bury me. I'm dead. So we all have some kind of skin tone, and, and that's of the Lord. God brings people in this world as he sees fit, and, and we ought not let that be a dividing thing with us, but that's exactly what Matthew 24 says. Kingdom against kingdom, nation against nation, and the word there is ethnos, ethnic group against ethnic group. And we ought not allow anybody to cause us to divide over such things. Amen. And the Lord's coming back. We're going to be lifted out of here. We're not going to see the Antichrist. I don't even care who it is. Don't plan on meeting him. 
and whoever it is, he'll, he'll work wonders and all those kinds of things we read about in the, in the Revelation to be able to make an image, a false prophet would be able to make an image of the beast which had the deadly wound and did live to move. Richard Dawkins, I don't remember, I don't know how many of y'all know who Richard Dawkins is. Let me see. Got a couple of folks that know he's an evangelical atheist. In other words, he's trying to spread atheism the best he can around the world. But he's the one in his book, The God Delusion, that said that if all the uh, electrons and neutrons and protons and I guess the morons in a statue all got to moving. They, they're all constantly moving. They're, they're not static. They're all constantly moving. If they all moved at the same time, he said, I suppose that a marble statue could wave its arm. It's going to happen. Read the book of Revelation. It's going to make an image of a beast, whether it's made out of marble or concrete or whatever it's made out of. It's going to make the image of that beast to live, to move. And those kind of wonders are going to amaze some people, but we're not looking for signs. We're not looking for wonders. We're looking for the God of this Bible. And so just because somebody can do something. And by the way, there is a Jewish rabbi over in the Middle East right now who's claiming to be able to do miracles. And I've seen the YouTube videos of him. They're ushering him around as a young fella. And they're saying that he is maybe the Messiah. No, the Messiah came 2,000 years ago and his name was Jesus Christ. And uh, we rejected him. We can say the Jews did, but we reject him too. It was a Gentile government that nailed him to the cross. And he died in the place of you and of me. He paid my sin debt and he paid yours. And we can go to heaven because of what he did. All right, let's get back to 1 John chapter 3. I want to pick up with verse number 10. Try to finish this chapter today, the Lord willing, and move along with it. Verse number 10, in, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. You wouldn't even think that the devil would have any, would you? This is the only time in the Bible that that exact terminology is used. Now there's the children of wrath and the children of perdition, different things. But this is the only time children of the devil is used. Hold your place right here and turn to John chapter number 8 for just a minute. We'll come right back. John chapter number 8. In verse 44, if you've got a Bible that has red letters, you'll see that these are the words of Christ. And so for those of you who don't, I want you to understand this is Christ speaking. And he's speaking to some of the Jewish leaders. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. Now we go back to 1 John and we find out the children of the devil. What would they be? They'd be just like him. Liars and murderers. Verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that you should love one another. Not as Cain, who is of that wicked one, and of course that's a reference to the devil, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's Abel's were righteous. What the difference between Cain and Abel was that uh, Abel knew that he couldn't bring his works, so he brought an innocent lamb to sacrifice in his stead, and that's what all the offerings were in the Old Testament. They were temporary. An innocent animal died in the place of a guilty human being, and, that, and Abel understood that. 
Evidently, Adam taught them that. If you remember, Adam and Eve in the garden were innocent. They were unclothed. They were naked. And they were, they were all right with that because there was no such thing as lust and different things at that time. And as soon as they partook of the fruit of the tree, they disobeyed God. They recognized their, their nakedness and they covered it up with making aprons of fig leaves, which obviously wasn't going to last long. And so uh, into, the, into the human race, sin was injected. And Adam, in the last part of chapter number three, you'll find out God killed an animal and made coats of skins for Adam and his wife. He, she was just called Mrs. Adam up until the time that Adam named her Eve. And so sin was injected. Innocent had to die in the place of the guilty. And so when Cain comes along and he brings the fruit that he had produced, he, he had worked the ground, he'd worked hard, and this was the best fruit I could produce, God, here it is. God rejected it. God is going to reject your good works no matter how hard you've worked on them, no matter how nice you think you've been, no matter how good you think you've been, your works are going to be rejected as a means of salvation. We only go to heaven through the blood of Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we can't earn our way into heaven. So that'll get us down to verse number 12. Verse 11, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you, you ever wondered why the world hates Christians? Why does the, why does the world hate Jews? Uh, they've lived in the same place. Listen, Jews have lived continuously in the land that's called Palestine by some. It's Israel. They've lived there continuously for over 3,000 years. They didn't just spring up and, and God inject them. They've lived there continuously for over 3,000 years. And yet the world hates Christianity. That's what Jesus is saying here through the Apostle John. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Now this is a reference to us loving Christians. <clears throat> Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And then he's going to go on and expand on what our love towards our brother ought to be. But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Words are cheap, in other words. Words are cheap. We have a benevolence fund here at church. You can give to it any time you want to. It's on the uh, online. By the way, the website's acting up. I don't know how many of y'all can access it. I can't. Uh, I think Brother Jerry was able to do so on his cell phone, disconnected from the Wi-Fi here. But uh, uh, we want to make sure that we're in involved in helping others. And so you can give every week or once in a while to the Benevolence Fund. And uh, when we do uh, the Lord's Supper, we you know, ex ask for folks to give to the Benevolence Fund at that time, that we might be a blessing to people who have needs. And we've done a couple recently. We don't advertise those. We don't get up and say, hey, we did this for this person, that for this person, and this over here. We just keep those things quiet. But I want you to know we use those funds to be a blessing to people, uh, to supply needs that they have that they can't meet themselves. And, 
And so we ought to do that. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we do know that we're of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. If, we condemn, uh, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And I'll, when we get down into the text, I'll try to explain these things to you because you're saying, what do you mean our heart condemn us and God's greater than our heart? Well, we'll explain it in a little bit. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is His commandment that we should believe on the name of, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And He that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him, and hereby we do know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. The defining trait of Christians is love. Our Lord Himself said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one toward another. That's the Lord speaking. He talked over in John chapter 17, verse 23 and 24, that God, and I let get a grip on this one, God loves you and me like He loved His Son Jesus. That's exactly what the Bible says. The world may know that thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. That's amazing. That is utterly amazing. Our actions in... And uh, we see actions here in a, a negative light. Don't love like Cain. Oh, my goodness. Uh, don't love in word only. We read that there in the Scriptures. What a, you think about Cain. He goes out into the field, the Bible says, and killed his brother Abel. And he's got a smart aleck answer for God when God asked him, Where's your brother? Well, God knew where his brother was, just like he knew where Adam was hiding in the bushes. When he had disobeyed God, God knew all those things. He was wanting to get a, an answer of confession out of Cain. And Cain said, I don't know. You expect me to keep up with him? And this, the Bible quotes him as saying this, Am I my brother's keeper? What a smart aleck answer for a human being to give back to God. The impact of biblical love is that it will persuade some people. You can preach on hell till you're blue in the face and not get some folk to ever trust Christ. We need to preach about hell because it's a real place. has real fire. It's just as real as where we are now. Matter of fact, maybe more so because it's going to last forever. Hell's going to be cast into the lake of fire, but it's still going to exist. But our, the impact of our biblical love, according to the book of Jude, is that we, we're going to make an impact on some folks that's the only way you can impact them. Listen to this. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Some people need to be told of judgment. They need to have judgment preached to them. Some people need to have the love of God preach to them, and explain that Jesus loves sinners. I think I'm easy to love. But I probably hadn't always been easy to love. Ask my wife I've been married to for 51 years. I've probably been hard to love a time or two. How about you? We look at our, you know, it's hard for us we gauge ourselves. Well, people, you know, I love people and people like me. I, I'm, I'm easy to love. Well, we, I got to understand that if we're loving the way the Bible says, we're going to make an impact in some people's lives that will never be made by anything else you say to them. 
They may steal themselves. And I've heard people say, well, if I go to hell, I'll be there with all my buddies. We'll have a big beer party down there. No, I'm sorry you won't. You may still crave beer. You may still crave your dope or whatever else it is that, that you're hung up on. But in hell, there'll be no release from it, that's for sure. No relief at all. When we love properly, it causes us to obey God. That's our distinguishing trait. The divine nature of the new man causes a child of God to hate sin and to love righteousness. And we do. It gives us both the desire and the power to do God's will, according to Philippians chapter 2. Whether you're struggling in your Christian life or not, and all of us do it sometime, we still want to do right. We never throw that out and say, well, I'm just going to give up on doing right. I'll just try to not to do as bad. No, we still want to do right, and we struggle. That's where the fight is, where we war and we, against our flesh. We use that terminology, children of the devil. In Ephesians 2, you read the terminology, children of disobedience, and then we just read in John 8, 44, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. That's lost folk. That's lost people. We're supposed to love the brethren. It's a sure sign of conversion. Verses 18 through 21 in our text right here. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. We can tell, we, as an evidence of our salvation, that we love the brethren. Listen, I've met some Christians that were not easy to love. Not every Christian's full of the Holy Ghost. Some of them are full of themselves. And every once in a while you get full of yourself. And, and we're not as easy to love as we ought to be, but because we have a desire because we work it, because we, we have a, we're in a process of loving God's people. That's an evidence that you're saved. It's a testimony of salvation. A lack of it's a sure sign of death. Is there anybody whom you, let me ask you, just, i got three questions here right quick. Is there one whom you open your ear to hear or your mouth to whispers and rumors about? Do you do that? Is there somebody that you avoid? You wish not to see them nor hear their voice. Is there somebody like that? You, you try not to catch people's glance. You don't want them, you, know, you think, oh, I don't want that. I, I don't want them around me. Are you envious or jealous against somebody? Those are things that are, that are signs of the flesh. And we want to excise those things. We want to remove those things. We want to get them out of our life. In verse 11, we see we've got a message. And in verse 23, we see we have a commandment. Verse 11, this is the message. Verse 23, this is His commandment. The, the commandment and the message are, are both love. Look back at chapter 3, verse 1 for just a minute. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That is the kind of love that I'm to express to other people. It's supposed to be so wondrous and so unusual that they say to themselves, where did that love come from? I don't deserve that. How, how can this person uh, love me? Why would they? When the tornado went through up there in Covington and the Brighton area and, and tore up stuff, we gave out 
I don't know, about $7,000 to people, various things. We bought thousands of dollars worth of goods and took them up there. I would want somebody to do that for me, wouldn't you? And I went in people's homes and sat down with them and said, what do you need? What, what's happened? And our help was mainly financial uh, because that's just the easiest thing to do. They could, they could buy whatever they needed, whatever suited them. But just imagine if your house was wiped away. How would you ever figure out how many forks and knives and spoons you had? How many towels you had? Uh, how many pairs of underwear you had? <laughs> what, how many clothes you had? How many pairs of shoes? Could you imagine trying to inventory all that stuff and turn it over to an insurance company? You'd miss something. All of us would. And so we were able to help some folks. And they, they were just amazed. They were, they were all re- very receptive and amazed. But we wanted to show the love of Christ. I'd prayed that we could find a Muslim family. I, I was unable to do so. But if we'd found a Muslim family, we would have helped them too. Why? I want to show them the love of Christ. Let them know that we don't hate them. I don't hate Islam. I don't, well, I guess I do hate Islam. I just don't hate Muslims. Their system, it's not, listen, their system is not a religion. It is a theopolitical philosophy of life. It demands control of the government to function. And when they have control of the government, they subjugate everybody else. If that's the kind of quote-unquote religion you got, I don't want anything to do with it. Don't want it in my country. So what is love? It's an affection, but it's more than an affection. It's a, a deep commitment to another person or to a principle. Listen, you have to choose to love. Somebody said, I fell in love. That's like falling in a hole. Can you fall out of the hole? Can you climb out of the hole? No, we, we use that terminology. What we mean, we've been overtaken by it. It, it snuck up on us, you know, and, and all of a sudden we find that we have an emotional feeling. And there's nothing wrong with the emotion, but we've got to have more than emotion. There has to be a choice, a commitment that I'm going to stay with this person for the rest of my life. A deep commitment. It's more, listen, it's more about the character of the one who does the loving than it is the one who's loved. If you can love people when they're unlovely to you, if you can love people when they've been rude to you or unkind, that's what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. The wicked who are dead in trespasses and sin cannot, cannot love, for it's beyond them. Look in chapter 4 for just a minute, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. Hey, this, this theme of love is going to move on. Let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Can I say this about our love? Our love does not excuse wrong. If you love your children and they do something that's wrong, you you ought to love them enough to correct them and discipline them. A a love that does not correct error is not biblical love at all. If your brother comes to you and he says, hey, I've I've read this in the Bible and it means so-and-so and and it's some kind of wild, wacky thing, you ought to love him enough to try to tell him better. Love does not require for me to give up doctrine. Doesn't do that. I can love people with whom I have doctrinal differences, but I'm not going to change what I believe. Not to suit man, that's for sure. Uh, Look in John chapter 15 for just a minute i got to move along. Time's getting away. Y'all preach too slow. 
John chapter 15. Wasn't that great the instrumental the ladies played? Won't have to worry anymore. Choir sing a great song. Praise God. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Then watch this. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. In Romans chapter number 5, the Bible talks about we might die for a good man, maybe, but God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, he died in our place. Remember, in light of these verses, what you were like before you were saved. What was your attitude towards people who came to you with the gospel? You probably tried to dodge them. Saw somebody come and knock on your door. You went in the back of the house, turned all the lights off, turned everything off the house so they'd think nobody was there. What did it take for your heart to be changed towards them? You had to love Jesus. And now when somebody comes by, hey, I'll give a track to somebody once in a while, and they'll say, hey, I'm already a Christian. Man, that's great. Thank you for doing that. We've had people in the community, and some folks didn't like it, don't like us going out door to door. We, the police got called on them the other day, and our men did exactly the right thing. They left because we, we don't want to cause any trouble. But not everybody likes us coming out and passing out literature. We're not trying to be offensive. But we've got to obey the Lord. We've got to evangelize. We've got to tell people about Christ. And we want to use every means that we, that we possibly can. But when you get saved and somebody comes by your house, and we had, I've had people do this to us. Oh, I go to this church or that church. They weren't even, some of them weren't even Baptists. They said, man, I'm so glad that somebody's out here telling this neighborhood about Jesus Christ. We were walking one time and it was hot and we were sweating. Zachary and Dylan were with me. They used to love knocking on doors. And anyway, we were going down through there. And Zachary said, I'm going to pray that God will get somebody to give us a bottle of water. <laughs> Next house we went to, a guy came out with his arms full of bottled water. He said, here's, here's some for you. And here's Dylan went. <laughs> what did it take for your heart to be changed towards people coming knocking on your door? With the truth. I'm not talking about Jehovah's Witnesses and false doctrine. Do not marvel or become impatient with a world that hates you. They hate you because they hated him. Let me read you a little something. This is by a guy named Robert Canlish. He's got a great book on 1 John. It's about that thick. Listen to this. Notwithstanding all warnings and all the experience of others who have gone before him, the recent convert, the young Christian, fresh, buoyant, enthusiastic, may fancy that what he has to tell must pierce all consciences and melt all hearts. He goes among his fellows, eager to appear in his new character, to bear his new testimony, to sing his new song. Alas, he comes in contact with what is like a wet blanket thrown in his face. Cold looks rude gestures of impatience, jeers and jabs, if not harsher usage still. Instead of the welcome he anticipated, as he hastened forth with face all radiant from the heavenly worship and fellowship, his lips divinely touched with a live coal from off the altar, crying, I have found him. Come and see, 
He meets with chilling indifference or contempt or anger. He's tempted to give up as hopeless the task of dealing with the dead. But no, count it not strange, brother, that you fall into this trial. When people take a negative view of you trying to serve God, that's the deepest hurt you'll ever get. Don't let it stop you. Don't let it stop you. Well, in verse 14 and 15, it talks about if we love not. The original hate crime. I got asked about hate crimes. I, I don't believe in legal hate crimes. What goes on in my mind is none of the government's business. And if, if I, you know, and, I, and I, I'll explain this in a minute. But let's say I decide I'm going to hate every purple person in the world. I don't care where they're from. They just, I'm going to hate them. I've decided I'm going to hate them. What harm does that do to them unless I act on that hatred? And the answer is nothing. Now, God doesn't let me hate. That's where hate is, is a crime. It's a sin. It's beyond a crime. And the government has no right legislating what goes on in our heads. If a black man kills white people and said, I did it because they were white. If a white guy kills black people and said, I did it because they were black. The, the problem is they're dead. Not that they were hated. The problem is when the hatred's acted on. And the Bible here says that if you hate your brother, you're a murderer in the eyes of God. So hatred is out. It's non-biblical. Christians can't do it. We're not allowed to hate. If you feel in your heart hatred start welling up towards somebody... You need to pray for that person. That's the only way you can deal with it. Verse 14. We know that we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Then verse 15. We know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Pretty serious, isn't it? Not loving is intensified into hating and hatred into murder. Probably all of us know somebody who was murdered or maybe have some connection in that way. I've had family members murdered. I've known of others have gone through that. It's, it's awful. Into this hate-filled world steps the new believer. Here we are. It may be hate-filled, but here we are, expecting everyone to be recipient of our gospel message. I wonder what Abel thought when his brother began to argue with him. He's thinking, now, now, Cain, you just need to get understand that God's not satisfied with your works. I don't know that Cain, or that Abel understood that Cain hated him until he picked up the stick or whatever it was he killed him with and beat him to death. That's typical of the believer who does not anticipate the world's and Sometime your own family hating Jesus. You can talk about God all you want to. That's a generic word. In, in the Arabic language, the word Allah is just the generic word for God. And I know they go around hollering Allahu Akbar. Praise God while they're shooting their guns off. But if you hear a, a saved Arab addressing God in prayer, he will use the same word Allah. Because it's, it's their term for God. We only have one. I don't have any other word for God, but God, do you? <laughs> I, I can put some, some things on there that may explain it. Sovereign God, almighty God, but He's still God. 
And so you talk about God all you want to, but when you start getting down the nitty-gritty and start talking about Jesus Christ and the only way to go to heaven is through a Jewish man who died on a cross and paid your sin debt, you've divided things. Abel likely did not recognize that Cain had ceased to love him as a brother. And I wonder what kind of spiritual wound that was when he realized his brother was trying to kill him. We have a need to be on guard lest we cease to love sinners as we should. And that will eventually weaken our love for the brethren as well. Why in the world would we fall out of love with sinners? Well, the response we get from them sometimes. I, I had an experience almost like that illustration I just read to you. I'd gotten saved, hadn't been saved very long, took my wife to the doctor. Said, honey, while you're in here, I'm going out on the street corners and witness to people for Jesus. She said, okay. And so I went out and I had me a red and white seersucker jacket. Y'all remember those? Had them little, you know, little dips and stuff in it, red and white, checkered. Had me some nice dress pants on, shirt and a tie. And I went out there to tell people about Jesus. First guy I tried to talk to chewed me up and spit me out. He was an attorney there in Memphis, and he said, Son, you may be trying to do right, but nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear what you got to say. He whooped me so bad, I just went back to the doctor's office and sat down, <laughs> waited on my wife to come. But you know what I found out? Some people do want to hear it. We're not going to win them all, but we're going to win some. And when we win some, we're going to shout her out. We're going to give glory to God. Here we are on the sidelines of life yelling, Come to Jesus. Come to Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now shall be saved. There's a story in the Bible similar to that. Jesus is walking along and the crowds are all around him. His disciples, no doubt, doing security work, trying to make a way for him. And he's coming along. And a woman with an issue of blood said, If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be all right. You know what that meant? It meant she had to get down low in that crowd and wiggle through that crowd and reach through out there and grab the hem of his garment and he went by. Brother, a lot of them wasn't paying any attention, but there was one woman that was dead serious. And Jesus saved her. Healed her of her blood problem she had and saved her by the grace of God. Oh, we're not going to win them all, but we're going to win some, praise the Lord. The nature of Christian love. It's natural for us to have, who have a spiritual mind to have love. The high standard. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the standard we're supposed to have as well. Uh, the true and exact opposite of the hatred which marks the, the world and which marks one's abiding in death is the kind of love that we have. Our security against the evil spirit of Cain coming in again to trouble us is what? Our love. We love. The connection of faith, love, and conscience we read here in the Scripture. There can be no faith and love where there is no conscience. Now, you've probably heard, let your conscience be your guide. Can I tell you that that's not a good idea? That would depend on how your conscience has been trained through the years. If you have one that's soaked in the Bible, and maybe perhaps it'll be a decent guide, but you better get your leadership out of this Bible right here and from the Holy Spirit as He enlightens you as you understand the Bible. We need a clear conscience. 
You know what it's like when your conscience is guilty, that guilt feeling's hanging over you, and you try to come to church? You sit there and you think, well, maybe I can get this straightened out later on. And you just sit there and just kind of endure church. In the Song of Solomon, the bride was looking for her husband. He was out. She was looking for the groom. And she went outside and said, have you seen him? Have you seen him? Where is he? <clears throat> and she said, the watchman on the wall directed her because she said, was but a little I passed from them. I found my beloved and brought him into the, to the room of my, my mother. Brought, in other words, took her to her ancestral home. But the next time you find that going on is in chapter 5. And she said, the watchman that went about the wall smote me and took my veil from me. Lost her testimony. If you're right with God, preaching will enthuse you and encourage you. And if you're out of sorts with God, the exact same message will bruise you and cause you problems. Our old flesh, boy, it's nasty, isn't it? I want to have a clear conscience before God. It means I'm going to, have to keep short accounts. Don't let sin pile up. Don't let it pile up. I remember you, Brother Mark Blackman was a member here. They moved up to the Nashville area, going to church up there. But I remember every time I'd call on him to prayer, he'd say, God, forgive us of our sins. And I'm thinking, Mark, why are you praying that? We're, we're talking about doing something different. But the more I thought about it, that was the right thing to say. We, we have untold numbers of sins that we've committed. There are sins that we don't, that we, there are sins of ignorance because we don't know. And one of these days we'll find out. But let's say you, you went through yesterday and you, you had a pretty good day. You didn't lose your temper, no road rage. You didn't run over anybody. You didn't throw tools at people at work. I mean, if things, you came home and you, you, you helped your wife in the kitchen. Well, you went in the kitchen and ate. Maybe, maybe just, everything went pretty good. And you get, get up the next morning and you start praying. You still need to ask God to forgive you of your sins. You may not be conscious of a sin that you've committed, but you have. Our, our weaknesses, our lack of faith, uh, there's so, so many things we could, we could name. But we want a clear conscience. I have to have a clear conscience. If I expect Him to quit me of my guilt, I've got to have a clear conscience. Well, I got to move along. Got two minutes. And three more pages of notes. If I'm going to have a clear conscience, I need to ask myself this Is there an area that I'm withholding? Is there part, something going on in my life? I know it's wrong. I'll stomp on it once in a while, but I'm not really going to take it to God. Maybe you're ashamed to do so. Maybe you're embarrassed to do so. Maybe you've asked God so many times, you, you just feel like I can't ask again. Can I tell you this? Every time you ask, is fresh with the Lord. It may not be fresh with you, but it's fresh with Him. He chooses not to remember our sins against us. You don't have to come fall on your face before God and say, God, this is the 38th time I've had to ask you to forgive me this. 
You may remember how many times you've asked. I don't know. But God doesn't say number 38 is forgiven. Every time we confess our sins, the relationship is, is, is fixed. It's repaired. You don't have to worry about your relationship. It's your fellowship, really, that, that gets bruised. My confidence affects my prayer life. Having my heart in tune with His will, I'll pray the right things. If I'm keeping His commandments, I'll pray the right things. If I'm doing that which pleases Him, I'll pray the right prayers. Open your mouth wide in Psalm 78. They said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? God said, you just wait. I'll set a table for you. And He fed the two and a half to four million Jewish people in the wilderness. Fed them the corn, the bread of heaven. Angels' food, the Bible calls it. Man did eat angels' food. Because I understand my helplessness, it causes me to trust Him. Because I understand my weakness, my helplessness, I understand my brethren better, and I'm more willing to help them because I realize I need help myself. I understand that warm words don't feed hungry bellies or warm, cold bodies. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. We did that with that uh, banquet for the pro-life group. We're doing it every month, send them some money. If you want to send them some, just mark it on the offering. We'll send it to them. I am against killing babies. I'm against killing them in the womb. I'm against killing them when they're out of the womb. Our fellowship feeds our prayer life. Verse number 19. Hereby we do know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. It gives knowledge of our position. We're His. If we're aware of some failure in our life, we bring it to Him in repentance. Our confidence allows us to enter into His presence boldly, according to Hebrews chapter 10. Our confidence in His answer, verse 22 and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. That does not mean if you pray for a Mercedes, you're going to get one. What it means is that God will work out His will in your life because God sends us through tight places sometimes, hard spots. Our confidence in His answer, we want to pray in His will. Hereby we know where He is. Hereby we are assured by His Spirit, verse number 24. Let me give you four things to close out with and I'll be done. Christianity is radically different than just being a nice guy. It's a lot deeper than that. From the holiness of God comes the love that shapes and molds us. God loves us, but He loves us so much He won't leave us like He found us. Aren't you glad God changed you? I am. I'd be embarrassed to tell you what I was doing before I got saved. I've mentioned some little bits and pieces of it. Back in those days, you know, people were smoking pot and smoking hash and taking psilocybin and uh, mescaline, some of that stuff. I'm, I'm not stupid. Drink Boone's Farm Strawberry Hill because it tastes like strawberry drink. Get drunk. I'm so thankful I don't have to live like I used to. People say, oh, Christianity's got you handcuffed. Are you kidding me? Christianity took the handcuffs off. I can enjoy myself without having to have some external pill or smoke or drink. 
don't need those things. God's holy love changed me, made me different. I'm not perfect. Well, let me tell you, I'm not perfect. My flesh been working me over these last couple of weeks. Just struggle about this, that, and the other. But I got a holy God who loves me. And he's not going to quit loving me because I'm struggling. When we walk in love, our prayer life is empowered. We begin to pray for God to do things. Number four, you can be sure of grace if you love what it, life what it ought to be. You can be sure of grace. Even when you're struggling with sin, you're still sure, I belong to him. He belongs to me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking about. Is there a believer in the house today? Say, Pastor, seems like I struggle all the time. I don't ever have as much victory as I want to have. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up. God bless you. Thank you. God bless several hands have been raised. I appreciate your tenderness. Is there somebody, God bless you, is there someone here who'd say, Preacher, I'm just going to be honest with you and we'll be honest with myself first and with God. I'm not saved, but I sure would like to be. This life you're talking about is something that allures me. Would you slip your hand up and hold it just a moment and say, Preacher, I need to be saved. I'd like to get right with God. I want my sins forgiven. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. Anybody at all while we wait just a moment. Let's stand our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, Thou the God of all creation, sovereign of the universe, the gracious God who for some reason found only in Thine own self and in Thy perfections, You love us. Help Your children that are battling, that are struggling. We all do at different times. Lord, may we hear from heaven today. Send Your children home with victory in their heart, assurance that whatever they face, they'll face it with you by their side. In Christ's name I pray and for his sake. Amen.